This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi everyone. Thanks very much for tuning into this latest episode of the MK Wants Me series of Liam Sweeting, the head of recruitment and analysis at MK Dons. Um, just quickly before you jump into the episode, uh, there were unfortunately technical issues whilst recording this episode with Liam. Um, he had a pretty unique way of recording his audio, um, which he kind of alludes to a little bit um, in the intro. Um, but did the best with the editing. There were a f- there's a few bits in there where the audio is a little bit choppy, but we're hoping it doesn't affect your listening experience too much. And yeah, I hope you enjoy the episode. So enjoy. podcast is a proud member of the fan hub 100 football without fans is nothing so we've partnered with fan hub to put fans first And welcome to MK1 Podcast, a podcast of myself, Ross and Joe, talk everything Milton Keynes Dons. Well, the latest episode of our MK1 Meet series, and we had the absolute pleasure of welcoming on Liam Sweeting, uh, the Head of Recruitment Analysis of Milton Keynes Dons. So Liam, how are you doing? Yeah, all, all good, thank you. Yeah, a few, uh, a few false starts with my technical equipment, but uh, other than that, no, all good, thank you. How are you guys? Um, yeah, not too bad. Um, I know we, me and uh, me, Ross and Joe, and he spoke the other day. I've uh, recorded our reaction to the Bristol Rovers game, but um, I asked the gents anyway. Um, Ross, how about how you doing, mate? How's your day been? Bad. Obviously, I'm excited for this um, episode, and I can't wait for it to get started. Yeah, definitely, it's going to be a good one, hopefully. And uh, Joe, how about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. I had to pop into work uh, today, so not too long off, but I guess that's just a perk of having your own business. So, yeah, I can't complain too much. Yeah, you got to keep your eyes on that, haven't you? That's for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, a um, bit like the rest one we did. Um, we've, uh, you know, we asked, to basically got a list of questions for Liam, and we got them all um, proof checked before, so we know they're all good to go. Um, so, Joe, kick us off with the questions. All right, Liam. Um, first of all, thanks for joining us. Um, what is your job title at the club? Um, and and what previous job roles have you held at other clubs? And what what does an average day actually look like for you? And 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 how how do you how do you tend to spend your days? Yeah, sure. So um, so I've come from a background of performance analysis, really, at, at both at Blackpool and Crystal Palace. Um, I, I've started there. And my kind of bread and butter was was performance analysis before I moved into recruitment. So I'm I still I still do do get involved in the in the kind of staff discussions on a you know a post match basis and, and an opposition basis. But um, we've got a very capable first team analyst in Ben Parker who who, who kind of leads on everything performance analysis related. So um, uh, Russ, Luke, and Dean are are having they have a, a performance analysis meeting every day. So so Ben leads on that um, and more so this season uh, really 
uh, more than any season because of of the COVID impact and and our games are are Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Then they're doing more and more in in kind of unit meetings and and group meetings. So Ben can take care of most of that. He's he's assisted by um, our student analyst David Perkins, and and they're very capable between them. So so probably three quarters of my role is on recruitment and that's en ensuring that we're prepared for the, for the transfer window, the upcoming transfer window. Um, and it, you know, that can be anything from watching video, uh, looking at data or, or attending live games. And, um, even so, I mean, I live in Milton Keynes. I'm, I'm, I'm still around the club quite often because the, the only way really I can do my job as effective as possible is if, if I'm around Russ as much as possible and constantly getting the feedback from, from the games, um, what he's thinking, because it, particularly with the way we play, you have to know exactly what's going on to then prepare um, for what, what we might do in in a coming transfer window. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I guess it, it's especially with in terms of the playing style, a lot of it will be sort of looking for not just the best player, but the best player for a certain position and what the system requires the the, the player to be able to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the um, the way we play and and the standard really and the bar is so high um, that it actually rules out a lot of players because um, the biggest thing for Russ and 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 as you guys will have seen the way we play is you you have to have an understanding of of the system and 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 you have to be able to handle the ball. So um, having that as a basis um, actually actually rules out a lot of players. So um, yeah, just just being around it and kind of listening to the guys as much as possible um, is the only way that you can do the job as effectively as you can, really. Brilliant. I think uh, Ross, uh, Ross is going to lead with the next one. Thanks. So, uh, you're right, Liam. Um, I'm going to chuck you straight into the deep end and the thick of it. Um, so what exactly goes into the preparation for a transfer window and when does that, that stage begin? Um. Well, if we if we um, if we just follow on from the summer transfer window, then um, we 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 kind of start this start the season. If if we're heading towards January, for example, the start of the season for us it, is about collecting as much information as possible. So um, we we cast the net quite wide. Really, August and September is getting to as many games as possible, scouting as many players as possible and adding as much information as possible to the database that that's our first point um and as as the games kind of progress and as we get closer and as i said as i'm around it as much as possible you start to get the feeling of what rust luke and, and the guys are talking about and where they may want to strengthen in january um and yeah and as soon as those positions are identified really that's when you know you can start to get a lot closer to to organizing shortlists um but it it's an entirely fluid process so it, it it can be spoken about after a game it can be spoken about during the week it as long as i'm i'm there we kind of always got an eye on the next transfer window and, and how we might in, improve the squad um and our, our approach for that is probably slightly different to some clubs we are we have scouts that, that cover sectors uh, so one of our guys, Nathan Pilecki, uh, for instance, he he covers the under-23 sector. So he's responsible for traveling the country um, and identifying the very best options for any any given position from the entire sector. So he's he's not comparing under-23 players in the north, you know, and, and only that section. He looks after the the whole country. So uh, we find that gives more accountability for um, for getting the very best players, you know, into into the process but but one of the things I uh, me and Ross kind of agree on is that it, it's about giving all our, our our resources a fair shout so whether it's um, the coach's opinion whether it's the video whether it's the data whether it's the scouts whether it's myself we all have to have an opinion and we all have to throw all our resources into the mix to get the very best solution so it all has a role to play so it, that can be the data um, I always say the data is is the scout that you know just treat it as another scout for the for the uh, for the people that are are wary of data. I just call it the scout that's at, that happens to be at every game in the country and happens to be covering every single player, and that that usually gets them switched onto it pretty quickly. Um, we also have great contacts. You know, uh, Russ is extremely well connected to many clubs 
we've we've made use of that with the Norwich link, for example. We've got more and more clubs wanting to um, to connect with us because of uh, the way we play for the level. Um, and then the opportunities, really, you've got the likes of of Richard Ko um, and Cameron Jerome. I, I certainly wasn't at Derby every week, and I certainly wasn't in Turkey every every week uh, watching them. But the the process has to be able to take in those opportunities. So that's where the video and the data can really play its strength because those those are market opportunities for us. So um, we aren't particularly led by it by any one of these resources, but we have to make use of them all to to enable us to to get access to the very best players. Like you have to be very open-minded in that sort of job. Yeah, absolutely, because that's our market. We don't, you know, we're not, um, we aren't in a position yet where we can extensively cover. You know, you look at the likes of Brentford that have made extreme use of of really niche markets, and um, we can't do that yet. Our, our market as a League One club is the EFL. It's the under twenty-three sector. It's a little bit of non-league. It's Scotland and a little bit of Ireland. And so we have to make sure that we're getting the very best from that market. As we continue to grow, we'll look elsewhere. You know, we're, we're aware of the Brexit implications, but ultimately we're in the same market as a lot of other clubs. So if we can be on top of the very best opportunities, then we've got to use all those resources. We're not overly led by one of them um, because we, we just can't afford to be. And then when, when it comes to the, the decision-making side of it, um, I, Again, um, I say these these kind of things all the time. We have to get everybody in a room. We have to get the key decision makers, the chairman, the manager, the coaches, myself, into the room and make sure that we all agree on the direction that we're going. Um, and if we do that and we give each person kind of each responsibility, including the data, I guess, uh, gives it the green light, then that gives us the best chance of making um, a pretty sound recruitment decision. Yeah, that was a brilliant summary. Um, I believe Joe, I'll pass it back to Joe for the next question. Um, I, I guess it's quite a timely question because um, Russ has been mentioning it is in his uh, press conferences. Why is the January transfer window so much more difficult and and what challenges do you face in, in the January window as opposed to the, uh, to the summer window? Um, well, on a, on a really basic level, um, the majority of players are under contract. So, yeah. um, whereas in the summer there there are obviously like well hundreds of players who are out of contract. So you can you can like go through the long list so to speak and pick off the very best free transfers. You don't you you're just not dealing with with that area of the market in January, um, and as a result, there just aren't aren't as many players looking to move. Uh, the, at, the, at the start of the season, clubs will set the budget um, and they'll. The players that are in it, they'll be pretty happy with, like generally speaking. Um, and then you might find a player who, who come January hasn't played as much as as intended, so he might be available. Um, but generally, it, it it becomes a little bit like the housing market. You're you're waiting for one thing to move um, before then that might free up somebody else. It's, it's almost like a one in one out process at some clubs. If they get one in, that might free somebody up to to become available. Um, so it's just it, it is just like by nature of of where people are in the season, um, everything just takes a little bit longer. The the other thing that I guess is is the variable. So we have this like constantly we're we're assessing players, we're looking at players, and um, we think oh he, he hasn't played in in four games, he might be available. We might we might get him from a championship club on loan or permanent even. Um, they might have an injury, put him in, he scores, and all of a sudden he's, he's, he's just taken off the market um, for January. And, and, and that happens a lot. So um, they're just the constant moving variables, really. Um, our approach is, is about assessing um, what open doors are going to be there. So I always say we have to be pushing at an open door in January. We, we can't afford to be, to be wasting time um, on a proposal or a deal that, that just isn't going to happen. So we have to use our, all our resources to find out what deals are actually on the radar for January um, so that we can make the best impacts in the middle of the season that we can. Um, nine times out of 10, that's that's the loan market that's moving, either players going back or new players coming out. Um, and then if, if we've got any funds available, then we might accelerate um, a summer transfer that, that we had in plan anyway, that we might accelerate that by six months just to make sure that we're we're always on a that, 
a long-term plan moving forward, I guess. Brilliant. And I guess as well, like what, what a lot of the time people ask, why why does everyone leave everything to the deadline day uh, in transfer windows? I, I suppose that must be quite a, a hectic day for yourself. And is it is it just a case of, again, waiting for other things to fall into place, which is why deadline days are often so hectic? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, it just happens. It just happens to go that way, and I guess it's because uh, you know an, an old chairman I used to work for used to say, "Well, on deadline day, we'll find out what it really costs." And so some people are just <laughs> yeah. playing games until until you get right down to the end. Um, everybody wants to get it done early, um, but it, it 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 just doesn't happen like that because, like I said, people are juggling budgets. Uh, People have a lot of games over Christmas. So much can change, um, and it, and it, it just isn't a long period. We, you know, at, at the best of times, a, a standard free transfer in a summer window will take two to three weeks to complete, um, and we're trying to do everything in, inside four weeks. So, yeah, it just it just isn't a very long period, and you're juggling all these variables um, as well as people, you know, expecting a lot of money to be to be changed hands potentially. So we're not expecting six or seven in this window, then, no. Uh, I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, <laughs> if you speak to Russ, um, yeah, you, you just don't know, you know, what's going to happen. It, it's um, it's a notoriously difficult window to do high numbers in, um, but you know, if we if if we find that there's open doors there, then um, then we'll be looking to do something. I'm sure. Brilliant. Yeah, thanks. I think that's yes, really shed some insight onto onto those couple of areas. I think Liam's got the next couple. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, so for yourself, Liam, you've obviously been a, been a part of several clubs and you know, you've been a side of recruitment and analysis, but you've obviously been through quite a few manager changes as well regarding the first team manager. And um, I suppose a question that I had for you was what are the type of constants and differences when it comes to say a sudden manager change happens? And that can be from a recruitment point of view or analysis point of view, whichever you think is, um, I suppose, more relevant. Yeah, um, yeah, I've done I've done quite a few manager changes, um, and usually it's it's all about the emphasis and the focus that the manager puts on on the team. So, um, you know, I've worked with managers where the focus is all about us and what we do. Um, and and some managers have a very clear identity and how they want to play. Um, other managers are much more pragmatic. So you know Tony Pulis coming coming into Crystal Palace when it was our first season, it was very much right. We we have to get to forty points, and the best way of doing this is is to play in this certain way. And 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 the group of players um, uh, suited that style. So y- you have to be adaptable as as an individual to work for the vision of that manager. That's the most important thing, um, and then obviously everything works off the back of that. So if your if your manager has an emphasis on working out what the opposition want to do, then you you have to adapt all, all your analysis process to do that. At the moment, we work under Russ, who's who's got an extremely clear vision of, of how he wants us to play, and therefore all our analysis is is pretty much on us, um, with a small focus on on how the opposition might press us or um, or what shape they might play or or maybe one or two specific weaknesses that, that we can focus on. Um, and recruitment is the same way, really. At, at Crystal Palace, it was it was an emphasis on, on defensive reliability and consistency because we had to get to 40 points. That was the absolute aim. You had to you had to survive. Um, whereas now you you have to be intelligent, you have to understand the ball, you you have to, you might be a market opportunity. So yeah, it's it's just a constant um adaptable approach really for me and for and for anybody working in recruitment analysis to um to adapt to what the manager wants ultimately. Yeah, and I suppose regarding the managers as well, they're probably you're looking for certain things, you're probably identifying different metrics as well to maybe judge that and you pass that on to them so they can understand what you're looking at yourself. Yes, yeah, sure. So we, um, so right now we love a particular stat touches in the box because for all that, for all our possession and all uh, all the passes that we make, we want to make sure that we get into the opposition penalty area. So, so Russ likes to know, you know, how many times have we got there, um, and we you know, we get some 
some great stats that you know Scott Fraser got in um, in the box fourteen times against Bristol Rovers, which was more than Bristol Rovers got into our box in the entire ninety minutes. We we like things like that. Those things make you know make us all um, you know well ridiculously pleased post match. Uh, I guess yeah, but, yeah. For, for what other people might think, um, but it's important. So that's you know that's just a particular example of what my, of what one manager likes. Yeah, well, if you need any proof of how good Scott Fraser is, uh, Liam Scaifio gets ample right there. Um, another question from myself. Um, we asked Russ a very similar question uh, when we uh, spoke to him uh, a couple of months ago. Um, but how much do you let outside opinions sort of impact your thought process and decision making when it comes to like recruitment and analysis? Um, well, there are, there are different types of um, outside opinions. So yeah, of course. From um, from a, a recruitment um, perspective, there there are a lot of people that aren't connected to the club, but that we use as contacts. Um, so Russ has got loads of those, you know, people he knows from his his playing career that he he can speak to. Um, that's an outside influence that might not know exactly how we play or what we're trying to do, but it, it's still information that we can use. Um, we've we just got to be careful with with how we judge these levels of, of outside influence, I guess. Um, and also, it's all it's it's all information from a from a, a recruitment perspective. Um, you know. You guys probably see a lot of fan accounts on on social media, and and um, of course it's it's not all uh, spot on information, but it's all information. So if a fan base is screaming about a player that is that they like, then then we we do listen to that because it's information. It's still people making a decision on players. Um, you know those those people might not be as trained as others, but ultimately it's still information that's out there. So. Um, as I said before, our approach has to take in everything that we that we possibly can, um, because we don't we don't have the biggest resources in in the league. So yeah, it it plays a role um, more so more so some than us, I guess is a, a very short answer. Yeah, any information is good information, I suppose, regardless of you use it or not. Yeah, exactly, and um, you know we used to do. Um, you look at the non-league paper, for example. Those guys are committing their lives to watching non-league football. Why? Why would we turn our nose up to that source of information just because it might be a load of fans doing it? It's still good information. It's still guys that are at these games, whereas we don't have anybody at non-league games every single week. So, yeah, we we have to be smart enough and and, and not too proud, you know, to take on all that information. Yeah, definitely. I believe uh, Ross has got the next question, so I'll pass it over to Ross. Um, yeah, Liam, um, I was just wondering what your thoughts on the uh, culture of the club and how this role plays in attracting players. Um, well, for us, Russ, is, Russ speaks about the culture of the club all the time um, and he's, he's he's done a lot of work with the players Um in establishing what what that actually looks like, so the players have have their own set of values that they stick to um, on a on a broad sense, and then from a unit perspective, you know the forwards want to be known for X Y Z, the midfield players want to be known for you know for different things. So um, for sure, it's important. And um, uh, Russ will always want to meet somebody. So if we're thinking of adding somebody to the group, uh, we always try and facilitate a meeting with you know permission from the clubs, etc. That um, that we can meet the player and that's as much uh, for the player as it is for us and vice versa, because um, you, you do get a feeling straight. It's almost like an interview, isn't it? You, you get a feeling for, for what this player is all about, the things that they say, where they're putting their emphasis. Um, and it just gives you a feeling really in, in, in what is um, a very difficult market to control. If we can have that, you know, at least a face-to-face meeting where the guys can meet, then he can at least assess, um, uh, the player and how he, he might adapt with our group. So uh, Russ has been uh, pretty clever with that in the past. We've added in, added in the characters of Richard Keogh, um and Cammy Jerome already to, to the likes of Dean Livington. Uh, I think we got it right this year. The group the group's in a really good place. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's important. I think also players are thinking about it more now. Um, it, it's it's um, it's on the minds of everybody. And, 
in these times and and we want to get as as a, a cohesive group as possible to achieve what we want to achieve i guess liam's got the next question yeah, so as we obviously mentioned yourself, Liam, and we sort of alluded to, um, you've been at several clubs in terms of being heads of analysis and obviously here and Kidon's been head of recruitment analysis. Um, I was wondering if there was one particular element you kind of taken from the analysis side of things or even uh, recruitment um, that you've been at, you've, you've taken to every single club and maybe something you could elaborate on or um, maybe some one sort of element you've taken from each club you've been at. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, it's it's probably an evidence based culture, if that if that makes sense. In kind okay. of I mentioned about using our our, our resources, but um, because I've got an, an an analysis background, I'm always going to lean towards the data. I'm always going to want that to have a voice within the process. Um, and obviously, Russ is very process driven. So we 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 work unsurprisingly we work quite well together because. Um, he's keen to make sure that we use you know everything that's available and i'm keen that we get a voice and then the last part really is and this this um is something that we've done recently better than we ever have done really is getting everybody in a room and just talking about what we're going to do and that sounds extremely simple but um it doesn't happen at every club so we get andy the chairman uh, russ myself luke and dean all all in a room we, we put everything out there, we watch all the video, we, we discuss all the data, all the financial aspects of the deal. Um, and then we go ahead and do it if we want to. And that, that kind of group discussion is really important to make sure that we're making the smartest decisions because it, it, it makes sure that everybody's accountable to one another. Um, and it's just literally making sure that we go through the process. And I know we, we, we mention the word process all the time, but it is, it is so crucial in making sure that that we don't make mistakes, um, and if we we continue to compete in a world post COVID um, and recover out of this, you know, this season, and continue to compete, then we have to make sure every recruitment that we make is the right one. Yeah, working in an office environment previously, I know how difficult it can be to like tie people down to a certain time, and everyone has to be there at the same time. So, I imagine, as you said, like if you do you can do that on a regular basis it obviously is going to work wonders in terms of your decision making and you know everyone's on the same page like you said mm, and then russ takes that um you know he probably doesn't even think like two thoughts to it he just does it naturally but i've worked with with people in the past where um the recruitment decisions are made between the manager and the phone call he makes to the chairman um and that's when when we're vulnerable to um to what I call uh, side gate recruitment, where we're all working towards something, and then all of a sudden, something appeared right at the forefront of our thinking, um, right in the forefront of everybody's discussion, uh, and everyone's like, "Well, so how, how is this one uh, bypassed the entire process?" And it, and it's because we haven't got in a room and, and spoken about it properly. Yeah, excellent. Um, I'll pass it on to Joe next for the next question. Yeah, I think um, one one thing that's really become evident in in um, in recent months due to COVID is is um, obviously I, I presume there's going to be there's been a lot more video scouting than in person scouting. And just talking for myself, just um, from watching on I follow us play and watching in the stadium, I've been been lucky enough to go a couple of times. It's completely different. Sometimes on I follow, you'd be thinking, you know, maybe maybe perhaps why doesn't he play this ball or why doesn't he do that? But then you realise, oh, well, the reason he's gone backwards is because there's six players out of shot that you haven't actually seen and it completely changes your perspective on it. So what what are the main differences between in-person scouting and um, video scouting and how has, I'd guess, how has COVID actually directly impacted what the normal processes would be um, in terms of the balance of, of those two? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, the iFollow thing has, has been excellent for us in terms of giving the fans a chance to to watch the games but uh, if I could get every single cameraman in a room and tell them to zoom out then I definitely would do that because uh, it drives me crazy um, I don't know if it's just me but I, you've got to be able to see at least a unit of players it drives me mad yeah. because particularly the way we play because a lot of it is about hooking players in and and if we recycle back to the goalkeeper or we, we recycle back to 
to Keo, then it, it, it there is usually a reason for it. Um, you can't necessarily no, we have, see that on iFollow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, we don't have that excuse because we we have got access to wide angle footage of of every single game um, in the AFL. So we're spoiled on that front in that I am able to watch a game and see all all twenty two players. Um, and yeah, the video scouting for us it. It's, it's always been the backbone of the department. It's always been something that we use um, to filter players. It helps us decide which live games to go to, particularly if I'm going to make a, a long trip to Scotland. Um, I'll do the games on video first to make sure that I'm using the club's resources as um, you know as clever as possible, really. So, um, yeah, and, we, and we've had to do more so this season uh, than ever just because the protocols have only allowed us to go to um, the games of our next three opposition, um, and you know, for for um, about four weeks in a row, that was that was at Gillingham, and I'm, I've been to Gillingham twice. I don't need to go again for sure, um, for sure. I don't need to go to Gillingham. So, um, yeah, those those are the little things that have limited us this season. I haven't been able to watch as much uh, League Two as I would have liked. Um, so we've had to do that on video. It's just it's just part and parcel. We're we're really fortunate that our guys, uh, myself and Nathan in particular, um, are used to dealing with a video, um, and we're quite you know able to report on a game from that. Uh, but still, in normal practice, you would use that to guide your resources, and then you would go along live to make sure that um, you know to back up everything you've seen and just make a real uh, judgment call on on everything really. The, the player's personality, how he, how he reacts. You just get a better feel for it. Um, it sounds quite old school, that, which I don't like saying, but you just do. You just, you're, you, you're, um, your focus is more on the game because there's nothing there to distract you. You can, you can bounce things off other people that are there. There are just lots and lots of benefits to go into a live game over video, but the video remains the backbone of, of how we can operate with, with the resources that we've got. Yeah, I guess you mentioned it before. The, the the video and the the data it just acts as a filter, and and it, it, I guess that that's really important. And then, would you say in person scouting is maybe more for things that aren't necessarily the pure footballing ability? So stuff like you mentioned, how they react if say they go a goal down, are they blaming all their opponents, or are they trying to you know maybe just encourage their teammates and get get straight back to it? Is that the sort of thing you look for? Yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. Um... But also just just the focus element of um, of sitting at a game and it's it it's starting with the referee's whistle and you can't leave until it's over. You can't press pause. You, the, the missus isn't distracting you. The manager in the office isn't distracting you. You just get a, a full feel of ninety minutes of how that player's performed, and and you just can't replicate that on a video for a to make the final call on somebody. Um, I find it extremely difficult to sit there and present a player to Russ um, or any manager if I've only seen them on video. And I always make that quite clear. I say, look, this is this is what I've seen, but it is I haven't yet seen this play live because um, you've got to throw that in there. Um, but again, we just have to make use of all of all of all the resources that we've got, and it's it's too good a tool not to, you know, be um, be part of the process. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, thanks for that insight. Um, I think Ross is up next. Yeah, I don't want to elaborate um, into it too much because obviously it could come across quite a sensitive topic as well. But what's the most uh, stressful experience at the Dons you've had so far? Um, probably the 24 hours before Scott Fraser signed. That was pretty stressful. Um, yeah, no, that, that was a, that was that was an enjoyable period. Actually, we we I sat and watched the um, the Northampton game with Scott um, when the trophy. Um, he obviously was a player. Thank goodness we won that. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we went 1-0 down, didn't we? And, uh, it, was, um, yeah, <laughs> it was a silent moment, but no, we came back and won. And uh, But yeah, to be fair, Scott saw everything that he wanted to see in terms of how we play. Um, and he's, he'd obviously spoken to Russ and, and he thought that, that, that this was the best place for him to show, showcase what he could do. So that, yeah, that, I was just joking there, but that was just, um, that was stressful. Um, but more... Uh, more obviously was um, when I only joined the club in March towards the back end of League One when we got relegated that that wasn't great um, we managed to sort to do a lot of sorting out and, 
and bounce back. And but now, obviously, this season is is extremely. You know, it doesn't. It, you don't ever really feel comfortable in in where we are. A because we think we, you know, our, our performances have been far better than than the results have shown. Um, and also, there's you know, the whole country is going through something that is um, that's just completely unprecedented. And and we we can operate in our bubble sometimes because our games. You know, so far up until Rochdale have, have been have been quite unaffected. So our lives have, have kind of uh, continued, but for sure, you know, the whole football world and, and, and the whole country in in general is obviously going through something that's extremely stressful. So um, yeah, we just we just can't wait till every, till everything's back to normal. It's strange you see you you see like Premier League years on TV or you see in highlights from last year and and the fans are all in and players jumping into the crowd. And you, yeah. It just seems so strange now and so long ago. So we're all we're all really hopeful that you know we can get back to normal as soon as possible because um, because what we're doing I think is exciting and we and we want to share that with everybody. We're constantly on the go twenty four seven then. Yeah, I've just covered about three years there, haven't I? Yeah, it's it's all stressful. <laughs> it never, yeah, it never feels like. Um, yeah, I've just never had a moment where you think this is good. Uh, you can't maybe, No, no, I don't think you can. But um, look, you, you you're not in it for for those you know for those reasons. You're in it because like you guys, you've got a, a real keen interest and an almost an obsession with what's next um, and the next challenge, I guess. But um, yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> believe uh, Liam's got the next question. Yeah, um, so this kind of leads nicely to the Scott Fraser speak, I suppose, with maybe ones that got away, but of course Scott didn't, which is lucky. Um, so have you potentially looked at plays in the past where it can be at Don's or other clubs um, who maybe thought, oh yeah, I'd really like to pursue them and get them into the club that you were at, but they for whatever reason didn't join and then they went on to be being like a really elite talent yeah I mean this happens this happens a lot yeah. very frustratingly it does um, uh, you know specifically because we do cover quite a lot of video analysis and data analysis we're always kind of hypothetically throwing up players um, that the data profiles in particular look interesting but a lot of the time those those profiles will reach the kind of my radar and there'll be a reason straight away that, that we just can't, we can't do the deal, whether that be in the next window or just that, um, you know, you, you take the salary cap. Now you might have a player that's on a, um, a pre cap contract really. And he's just, he's got another two years at a a certain salary and he's just not going to leave that contract until, um, until he's, he's kind of seen it through because that kind of money's not going to be around in League One anymore. So there's those kind of opportunities that are out there at the minute um, that are limiting what we can do. Um, but yeah, for sure, we we had uh, I, I won't I won't name the player, but we we missed out on a, a, a you know a top target in the summer transfer window um, that Russ has, has referred to in the past. And, and uh, yeah, that that was uh, it hurts because you do a lot of work into it and you get close. You feel like you're getting close, and you. Uh, Quite often, the ones that hurt the most are the free transfers that you think, oh, he, he would play forty games for us, um, and you know the, you know, he's a free and 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 there's high upside there um, for what we can get out of them. So they're they're the ones that really sting. But rather than, you know, the the eighteen year old that you think is going to be a superstar, it, it isn't quite those ones. It's it's the pragmatic ones that you think, oh, he would have been a great fit on a free to go in at right back, for instance. Um, they're the ones that hurt the most. Yeah, I can imagine. I know, um, well, us three gents always look at the market and thought, oh, it'd be really good to get this guy. But of course, we didn't know what happens behind the scenes. And there was a guy we played the other week who I particularly really wanted at Don's for quite a while. And of course, he did pretty well in the game. And yeah, it just happens. And it's frustrating. But as you said, you know, you can't really beat yourself too much about it because, you know, there's always another player on the horizon that you could potentially get at the club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. It just keeps going. You can't... Um... You, you get a small small amount of time to reflect on those ones and, and it's all about the next one then. Yeah, definitely. Um, Ross, I believe you've got a next question. Yeah, um, so instead of it being the stressful question, what's the most enjoyable part of your job? Um, when, when you um, put a process in place and, and you sign somebody that, that comes through that process, I guess, 
Um, so, uh, for instance, we our our kind of recruitment process looks at at players um, in four categories that that are only ever out there. So we have we have players we know about um, that are targets, um, players that that we know about but are not yet targets. And then, kind of unknown players um, and overlooked players, and and as more and more players become known to us, the risk of an overlooked player increases because we just assess, you know, our database is continuously building, and the more reports that go in there, the more chance of us overlooking somebody, you know, increases. So, we was doing um, a lot of work in Scotland probably about eighteen months ago, um, and we. We'd, we'd seen Air United several times um, and probably reported on Danny Harvey quite a few times. Um, and then we we did a period of data analysis probably 12 months later and Danny kept coming up. He kept coming up. His name was there continuously. So he's an example of an overlooked player. He's, you know, there were loads of reports in the, in the database. Um, but then all of a sudden his data, his data profile popped up as him having really improved, played two full seasons for Air. Um, and all of a sudden, this guy should be on our on our radar. So, when it sounds really terrible, actually answering your question, but that to me is enjoyable because the process has, has caught somebody there um, that otherwise may have been overlooked. And you know, I don't know, a, a Portsmouth or or somebody else could have signed Danny, and he would have been sat in our database. Um, so, yeah, that that to me, when you can put things in place, and and the process helps you to do the job. Um, that's all. That's all you want, really. You you know you want to be making an impact and 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 hoping that the work that you do is actually leading towards the the impact of actually signing somebody. So um, that was a, that was an enjoyable one. Well, yeah, I guess it's just the satisfaction you can take away from it when you know you've done your job and you see him perform yeah, on the yeah. pitch. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Because um, it because so much has to align. Yeah, ultimately, so much has to align for us to to, to pull off a signing. So, uh, it's a, if we if we get the first part right in identifying the players, then you know we we we're giving ourselves a chance, as I said, to make the smartest decisions that we can. I believe Joe's got the final question. Yeah, I, I thought um just be good to just end off in just sort of a general question. What was your, your sort of um, route from say like school straight into analytics and what what sort of advice would you have for people looking to go get into say scouting or analytics or, or you know working within a club? What what was your sort of route? Because I think it's probably every person's dream to work for a football club or to play football or something. So yeah, what what was your sort of route into into this? Um, yeah, so I did. Um, I went to to university. I, I studied sport coaching. Um, always had my eye really on 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 a coaching background, but. Um, just at the time that I was I was at university, which was up in Preston, uh, there was a lot of, of of clubs around that area. You know, uh, Preston, Blackpool, uh, Blackburn, Wigan, uh, Bolton. You know, the Northwest has got loads of clubs, and they were all all crying out for help with analysis because it was just really taking off, or it it already already taken off really, and I was just coming into it. Uh, but they all wanted help with analysis, so um, a job came up at Blackpool. Um, as the performance analyst, it was a, it was student placement working under under Holloway, um, and I, I just took my you know I went for it and got got into analysis that way. Really, it was a it was a very steep learning curve. Um, got on, got a, a relationship with that manager quite quickly. Obviously, he got the Palace job, and it all just takes off from there. Um, but the one thing I would say is, and I say this to people now that we we have interns coming in all the time people a lot of people write into the club that want to be part of the analysis setup want to film games um you know want to get experience of the industry but it, it, if if you're not absolutely in it or if you're not absolutely obsessed with it then, then just do something else because it'll it'll fall down eventually um you have to be almost hours um, the pay it can be really mixed by clubs um so if you've got anything that you know that he's uh, telling you that you absolutely don't want to do this then just don't do it because it, it won't work you you have to put in I, I added two years on paid before I got anywhere in football um 
thankfully that's changed a little bit now and, and internships are getting a little bit more attractive um but it's, you know the same principles there you've got to be you've got to be willing to do the hard work there's no shortcuts to being involved in professional football and and uh, and nor should there be because it's um it's an ex- you know extremely attractive industry for people to be involved in yeah brilliant i think as well what you've said there it just shows how um the game really is changing in the past few years especially with, with um you know all of this stuff coming out about how so many important people there are clubs like liverpool for instance they've got hundreds of you know analysts and it's all about uh, working smarter not harder i guess isn't it if i go into uh you know if i was an intern i'm thinking back to my days at blackpool and i hadn't watched the football that was on the night before you know the coach the, the coaches would be looking at me thinking what you didn't you didn't watch the game that was on tv the night before and it's just it's just things like that i think you know if you if you're not absolutely in it, it you'll get found out um as a so I, I all um, when we're going through our you know intern, internship applications and and people that really want to get involved in the club, then you you're always trying to work out the people that um, are absolutely committed to being involved because it, it is a lot of hours and it, um, it does take a lot of, a lot of your personal life. Okay, then the rewards are there because there are there are more and more roles now in clubs. You know, Liverpool's the absolute top of the game scenario where they've got extremely good people working all together to to achieve what they want. Um, but you know, that that's starting to filter down. The way that League One, League Two clubs are using data now is is increasing all the time. So there's definitely going to be roles out there for people. I just think you've got to do the. There are no shortcuts. You've got to do the hard work to get there. Brilliant, brilliant. Thanks, thanks for that. I believe uh, Liam's just going to round us off now. Yeah, um, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Liam. Um, just before we finish, do you have any questions for us? Um, no pressure if you don't. We just like to ask the guests if they do. Um, it's out of interest. Uh, well, yeah, I guess, um, you know, obviously you guys have are. Uh, paying extremely close attention to to our games now um because because you're talking about them on a podcast every week so uh the most interesting thing for for us to, to know i guess will be what what do you think of us at the minute what do you think of our style um and how do you see the how do you see the style versus um you know the old the old thing everyone talks about style of play versus results what, what are your thoughts on it at the moment go on joe take it away Oh, good goodness. Um, well, um, we, yeah, we, we spoke about this a lot in our last pod because I think one thing to just consider is just how far we've come. Um, one one thing I looked at um, the, other, the, um, the other last week was the fact that we, we may have lost eight games, but six of them were only by one goal. And we're actually in pretty much every game we play right up until the last minute. And, you know, and even if you don't want to look at the actual XG numbers, if you just say look at something like shots or shots in the box, just just coming back a little bit, yeah, I think, you know, the style of play only becomes an issue if the shots and the chances aren't there. But and I feel that they are there. So I feel that, you know, it's only a matter of time or maybe a few tweaks in personnel or, you know, because there's only so much that the, the coaching staff can do. And, and I feel that it, it, there's been a definite change. We're competing especially against better teams when teams actually come out and at us we're actually playing better and I think crowds will help us as well as we mentioned um so yeah I just think you know the only time I would be concerned is if the 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 the, um, the numbers and you know the chances we create aren't actually backing up the style of play but they certainly are at the moment yeah, I think um, I think quite a few people were looking for or mentioned the word progress quite a bit the past few weeks and how they weren't really seeing the progress that they maybe desired. Um, but I feel performance against Bristol Rovers on Saturday really showed that progress. You know, of course, in the previous management here we faced on Saturday, we really it wasn't the most maybe attractive side of football that the club is used to. And obviously, Russ has come in and introduced that. And I feel us beating that team on Saturday was the clearest sign of progress a lot of people have seen in months and the, the way we actually went up and went, well, went about that game, it, I think that just shows where we're going and if we can continue that going for a, quite a, lot, a long time, then we're going to be doing well, of course, and hopefully be competing at the higher end of the table rather than the lower end. 
um, Ross, did you have anything to add, or did we kind of cover it? Can echo you two thoughts. Yeah. Um, obviously, um, I'm a huge fan of what the, what Russ is doing at the club, and ever since he's come in, we only saw positive signs. But it's just nice to see that obviously the club are being more interactive with us fans, and um, I'd, all I can really say is just keep up the work. Because we, all we're seeing at the moment is positivity flowing out in and outside the club, and I'm hoping um, results are starting to show and um, long may they continue. I'd just like to add quickly yeah, as well. Well, well that's... Okay, sure. Sorry, just as well. It's just great to see as well how the club just seems so much more joined up in terms of, you know, like um, Russ is constantly talking about the support staff and it almost seems that they're not just, you know, you're not just separate departments. You have the football and then you have the guys that do the numbers in the back room. You're just, you're actually, it seems to have an actual impact. And, you know, if everyone's working together, it's it's only a good sign for me. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, that's extremely positive to hear. Uh, that's that's that, that's your guy's perception. I mean, just to go back to your original point, Joe. It, ultimately, it, it is a game of fine margins, um, and the fact that things are going against us by the one goal, obviously, we're not not happy about it. Uh, but we are aware of this of of the numbers as mentioned, and uh, ultimately, Russ and the, as as he's spoken about, is it, it's about putting in a style of play and a, and a vision that um, that we think can take us. Uh, to where we want to be, and that's the way that uh, the Russ is going to lead it. So, um, yeah, we've got to keep improving um, and keep doing all those things you mentioned about on, on and off the pitch, really, because for sure we we are going, we are making progress, we are going in the right direction, and uh, and yeah, hopefully we can we can start to see the results, you know, really show that because um, I think it's fair to say that they haven't so far. So important that yeah, we they will do get to put to, to put a little run together and see what we can do. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I 100% agree. And uh, looking forward to it, to say the least. It'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, not only how this season progresses, but seasons going forward as well. So, yeah, once again, um, thank you very much, Liam, for coming on. Um, absolute pleasure to have, to have the chance to be able to speak to you regarding all things um, recruitment analysis, especially from your perspective, um, you know, being in the industry for many, many years. So, thank you very much for listening and come on, you dons. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.